you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning, Movement Church. It's, you know, it's so good to see those of you who forgot to set your clocks. <laughs> and uh, man, second service is so full. It's amazing. No, I'm glad you're with us today. Uh, there was like seven people in first service who all set their clocks forward. And so, no, it's so good, good to have you with us, man. It's going to be a great Sunday. Uh, in fact, you chose the best Sunday to be here. Uh, really, you did. We're, we're right in the middle of a series called Believing God. And, and I've been so stoked about this series since we planned it about four and a half months ago. And Really, it's kind of that fundamental thing dealing with some of the biggest challenges we face, face, which is faith. And uh, I'm excited about it. So before I dive into that, I've got to tell you about a couple of things. Um, One of which is the fact that I am beyond stoked, beyond proud of our amazing worship team. Can we give it up for these guys? Come on. Uh, You know, just tirelessly working hard to create an atmosphere where you and I can experience God in a tangible way. And uh, what's so neat is to know the backstory of our worship team. And uh, some of you know, many of you don't, about five years ago, a little bit more than that now, my wife and I moved here to Orange County to start this church, and we didn't know anybody. And we just started praying, God, bring an amazing team. And he, he did. And, and, and we, it was very evident in the beginning that, that God was going to use the worship component of our church to really kind of change the spiritual fabric of Orange County. But through so many different experiences and stories, it just kind of fell apart. And there was a few people who were here in the very beginning that are still here today, but God just kind of, in the way that only He can, took something that seemed so tragic and so terrible, and He turned it into something, to, into something tremendous and, and terrific. And, yes. and it's so cool to see what God has done. And now we've literally written songs. We sang two of our songs today. One that, one that we sang today was brand new. They literally wrote it in the last two weeks, but here's the really exciting part. We have a CD coming out in a month. Check this out. Come on, people. Let's get excited about it. Called Victorious God. You can't even get this yet. Like you, you, I want to give it to you, but it will be coming out in a month, and we're going to do a CD release party on April 9th, the second Sunday of April at our movement night. So it's an invitation to our movement church family and a few other people just to celebrate what God's done. We're going to let you purchase the CD in advance, but here's the cool part. We released our single this past week. You can purchase it on iTunes. You can listen to our band on Spotify. Come on. So listen, you can also pre-order the CD, so go on and do that today. Here's what I want you to do. Pre-order the CD, buy the single. They're the same songs, but do it anyways, and then put it on our single on repeat on Spotify just all day long. It's going to be great. Let's bump those numbers up. But one more time, would you give it up for our amazing worship team and what God's doing through them? And I, I really can't tell you how excited I am. And it's a good CD. It's a good, there's a hidden track on there. It's me singing. You're going to be blessed. Why would you laugh there? That's just, no, I'm kidding. It's just pure falsetto. I'm just singing only in falsetto. But uh, no, it's going to be good, so check it out. But one of the things I'm, I'm really excited about too is, is really a holiday that, that is an, a major holiday when it comes to the church. And it's called Easter. Uh, now, most people think about it in relation to bunnies and eggs, which is still confusing to me. Yes, I agree. 
I feel like we're confusing children, and I don't think it's right. Bunnies and eggs. But either way, we'll move on. Obviously, we should move on. But Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus. And here's the great part about it. It's the one holiday that the greatest population of people turn up to church. And there's a great statistic that 86% of people who are invited to church will attend. So we're about four and a half weeks away from Easter, and I want to challenge you now to go ahead and gear up and start thinking through and praying through who you are going to invite and bring with you on Easter Sunday. We're going to move the curtains back, bring out more chairs, and then what we'll do is we're going to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I believe that something is going to shift here in this church and in the lives of your friends, your family members, your co-workers, your baristas. But let's pack this place out and see what God can do. Can we do that? Come on, let's give God a hand clap because it's going to be an awesome Easter. Well, let, uh, we have been in this series called Believe in God, and, and it's this, the idea, or the series is kind of stapled around the action verb faith. Faith is the way that believers jump on board with God. Faith is how we participate in the countless wonders that God wants to do in our life. Faith is what happens when believers believe. Now, if you're here and you're not sure what you believe, let me just go ahead and tell you, you have permission to belong before you believe. But this today is about going beyond just believing in God. I think so many people are good at that. They can kind of wrap their mind around a higher power or the big guy upstairs, but the fact that God actually wants to play an active role in your life and mine, that becomes a challenge. And so as a result, our faith becomes a notion and not an action, an idea, a concept or church attendance. Look at what Isaiah says in chapter 7, one of the writers of the Bible talking about faith. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. The Apostle Paul said it this way, that if we don't stand firm in our faith, then as the waves and storms of life come, our faith will be tossed to and fro. Let me put it to you this way. Faith is not just something you have. Faith is something that you do. Let me pray for us and we're going to jump in today. God, we just set aside our agenda. We set aside our lunch plans. We set aside our our, our hopes and our dreams, our ambitions. And just for a few moments, for just uh, 30 minutes, God, we give you permission to rearrange the furniture of our life. We give you the book of our life with empty pages and a pen. And we say, would you begin to write the story as only you can. God, for just the next few moments, we open our ears, our ears to hear and our heart to receive whatever it is that you want to do in our life. Bottom line is, God, we don't want to leave here the same. We want to leave changed and different. So we thank you that you're at work in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Well, as we've been going through this series, in the very beginning, I asked you to practice raising your shield of faith, and I gave you five statements that we're going to make throughout this series, and we're going to recount them as we go along, and these are five statements that I believe all of us need to really memorize, and so I'm going to read them, and I want to challenge you to read along with me, and they are the pillars that each sermon is based on, okay? You can follow along with our notes by texting the word notes 
to the number on the screen, but I want you, if you're here and you feel just brave and courageous, I want you to repeat this after me. Statement number one, God is who he says he is. Number two, God can do what he says he can do. Number three, God, I am who God says I am. Number four, I can do all things through Christ. Number five, God's word is alive and active in me. And in week two, we discussed that fundamental statement that really is the foundation for this series and for faith, and that is that God is who he says that he is. And so often we try to define God by qualities or characteristics that are different than how he defines himself, and as a default, we minimize who he is. We try to fit God into something that makes sense to us, and, and then what we've done is we've built God in our own image, but that isn't God being who he says he is. That's God being who we say he is. And here's the truth. We made this bold statement in week two. We said that God is either everything he says he is or he's a liar. And the challenging part about this series or this week that we, we talked about in, in week two is that there's not any type of emotional story that I can give you to convince you that God is who he says he is. Or if I try to land on logic or reason to convince you who God is and that he says he, who he says he is, then the problem is when your emotion shifts or logic and reason shifts, then so will your faith. But believing that God is who he says he is is simply a choice. It's simply choosing to believe this. And then we dove into week two, or week three rather, in the second statement that God can do what he says he can do. We looked at the descriptive words that one of the writers in Isaiah said about who God is in Isaiah chapter 9. And often we'll read this at Christmas time, but look at how this passage is written. This is Isaiah. He says, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That word wonderful right there literally means to be full of wonder. And my friends, let me just tell you, if you and I remove the wonders, we can no longer call him wonderful. So don't minimize who God is, or more importantly, we talked about this, not minimizing the miraculous in our life right now. That often we take for granted that our life may be healthy, or we've got great friendship with people who encourage us in life or we found a church where I'm pursuing purpose or destiny and that, my friends, is the miraculous. But we minimize that because often what we think is unless the seas are parted or a limb grows back, then it's not the miraculous. The other challenge is that we allow our experience to shape our faith, that we see little and believe little and therefore we continue to see little and believe little. But that doesn't change the fact that God is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. My friends, can I just encourage you? Regardless of the miraculous that you've seen in your life, God is up to something right now. In your life. Even if it's down to the fact that it's not by accident that you are with us today. Perhaps everything in your life has culminated for this moment just that you can be reminded that God wants to be an active part of your life. Which leads us to statement number three in the, the platform of our sermon today. God is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. And I am 
who God says I am. This is challenging for us. It's challenging for me because that means that believing I am who God says I am means choosing what God says over what I feel. It's interesting that just as we allow our experiences to shape our faith in God, in other words, there may have been a season where I pray, God, do this. Would you move like this? Or maybe a tragedy befell your life and you couldn't understand why a loving God would allow this to happen. And so now I've experienced this and it stunted my faith and I've allowed that experience to shape my faith in God just as we often do that. So we allow our past to shape our perspective of ourselves. Maybe if you're like me, you can look back through the course of your life and all that you see or what seems to be louder than the success are the failures. Or what seems to be louder than the great moments are the moments of tragedy and the poor choices or the habits that you succumbed to for so long or the addictions, etc., etc. And now... My past is shaping my perspective of myself. Have you ever just thought, you know what I would love to be known for? I would love to be known for as an amazing man of faith. Man, I just, I wish that my prayers could sound like so-and-so's prayers. Man, every time I get around my wife, when she prays, the very earth trembles. In fear and trepidation. No, I'm kidding. Sometimes you get around people who pray big prayers, and man, I don't know if I can pray like that. I'll never forget the first time I met some of the elders in our church, they Michael and Judy Calderon. I got to hear their story, and I, I second service in a row, I didn't get permission to share their story, but it was so interesting. Michael just got out of prison last week, and we're, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And uh, it's so neat to see, the, the first service laughed a lot harder at that joke, so I'm going to need a little bit more participation from you. So, so neat to see their story, and they began to tell me that there was a season where Judy was facing life-threatening cancer. No hope. No chemo, no none of that. It's, it's, it's over. And Michael decided, I'm going to pray and fast for like 30 or 40 days. And God healed her body in a miraculous way. And I hear that story and I'm mesmerized and I'm inspired. And I think, man, I wonder, why, why isn't God answering my prayers like that? Have you ever thought that before? And then there's a passage of scripture that, that talks about this very essence of faith that if we're not careful can become intimidating and, and, and lend towards this insecurity. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So sure, I believe that you are who you say you are. And I'm trying to believe you can do what you say you can do, but when it comes to me, the verdict is still out. I don't know if it's really possible. And I think the reason is because I often, I'm challenged because I feel like I'm not a low-maintenance project to God. Can anybody relate? Like, I feel like I'm a very high-maintenance project. Some of you are low-maintenance, and God just looks at you, and he's just like, oh, what refreshing. <laughs> and then when God looks at me, he's like, bless your heart, which in the South means you're an idiot, right? A friend of mine said this once, if I suddenly pass, my gravestone should appropriately read, God got tired, right? 
Can anybody relate to just, I, I feel like I'm not a low maintenance project for God. Like he's like, oh, are you serious again? I, I don't know if that's what he's, I, I know he's not, but that's how I feel at times, right? And here's the thing, that if we're not careful, then we have to be careful, we have to be aware of the mindset that follows suit, that I've got to work hard to become who God says I am. And then I begin to work for his love and his grace. I think if I just pray a little bit harder, if I attend church more consistently, if I just put out good vibes and good thoughts, maybe God will love me more because I struggle believing I am who God says I am. And this has been a challenge plaguing humanity since the beginning of time. In fact, one of the characters we've been following in this series is a guy named Moses. Many of you probably know his story. Some of you don't, and that's okay. He was one that God chose to deliver the children of Israel out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. This guy kind of steps on the scene, and he spent 40 years, his first 40 years of his life, he was raised in a palace, and the next 40 years of his life, he was in the desert as a shepherd to goats and to sheep. And, and there's this moment where Moses encounters God. And the Bible paints the picture of God speaking to Moses from the midst of a burning bush. You probably heard the story. God kind of gives Moses his calling. And let's read and see how he responds to this. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians have oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Look at this response that Moses gives. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Can we just pause for a moment and look at the irony of this? Moses is talking to a burning bush. Thank you for laughing, Megan. <laughs> Anybody ever seen the classic movie Three Amigos? Yes. Are you the singing bush? You'll be coming down the mountain. And she... Nope. The rest of you watch that movie. He's talking to a burning bush. The Bible says that the presence of God was there and it was so tangible, so touchable that he removed his shoes out of reverence and awe, so it wasn't just what he was seeing, it wasn't just what he was hearing, it's what he was feeling. God, He was wrapped up in the moment of this bush speaking to him, and then God says, I've called you to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, and what Moses doesn't doubt is that this is God speaking. And he doesn't doubt that God wants to and can deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. What is it that is on the chopping block here with Moses? His own validity. Who am I? Who am I? God comes back in to encourage in verse 12, and he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out. In other words, it's going to happen. And just remember, because you shall serve the God, serve God on this mountain. So he's saying, listen, Moses, I am with you. But Moses continues to doubt. Can anybody identify or relate with Moses? Yeah. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, 
Continuing the conversation, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Either in past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of the tongue I have a stutter. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. God, you don't understand what my struggle is. You obviously don't see the faults that I have or you would have called somebody else. It's just kind of mind-blowing how Moses was constantly disqualifying himself and yet I identify so strongly with this. And then at the same time, when I step back, I can kind of get it. Because truthfully, Moses was a little bit horrible. <laughs> it's okay to laugh in church. He was, he was a murderer. And he had a major temper problem. I can relate. I've never murdered anybody, but I'm just not yet at least. So I don't know what's going to happen. No laughter. Thank you, second service. So I get that, Right? You look at Moses' track record, and as some of you might think, you well, no, no, that makes sense. Maybe somebody else has chosen, but just not me. But then we continue on in the scripture, and we see another character into the scene whose name is Joshua. Joshua is Moses' predecessor. He is his uh, second in charge. Like, he's the guy to take over for Moses. And according to the word, there are no recorded issues with him. No huge character flaws. Like all of Moses' life is out there. We know everything that he did wrong. But Joshua, in fact, the opposite is true. What we see with Joshua is that he would linger in the presence of God. He would go where God was and just stay there as long as he could. We see this warrior arising and it comes time for Joshua to take over for Moses and then eventually inherit the promised land, the land that God promised to his children. And look at what we read about Joshua in chapter 1. The very beginning of his story, verse 6, says this. Be strong and courageous. This is God speaking to Joshua. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that the Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you should meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And look at what God says again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whenever in the Bible we see repetition, it's because God's trying to get his point across. Just like when you have your kids and you say, hey, don't go over there. Hey, don't go over there. Hey, don't go over there. I done said it 19 times, right? Anytime we bring that repetition, Anytime God brings that repetition, he's trying to emphasize or reiterate his point. Three times in the beginning of Joshua's story, we see this, hey, be strong and courageous. Is it possible 
that like Moses, this mighty warrior was terrified. Terrified. There's something that's unique, uniquely found within the scripture that kind of pulls back the pages on maybe why or kind of God's bigger picture in this thing. Listen, I don't know about you, but for me it's comforting to know that, that, that all throughout time that people have struggled with this concept that I am who God says that I am. And you've probably maybe read in scripture or heard of a scripture that's like so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. Or maybe you read a passage of scripture that just listed names of people and it seems insignificant until we pause and pull back the pages to see this. And just a few chapters earlier in a book called Numbers, we hear about Joshua. And it's a short verse, Numbers chapter 16, it says, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, son of Nun. It's just identifying this guy, Hosea, which is the same Joshua, but look at just a few verses later, it says, these are the names of the men that Moses sent to explore the land. And Moses gave Hosea, son of Nun, the name Joshua. Same Joshua as the story we were reading before. His name was Hosea as his birth, his birth name. And then Moses changes it. But look at this. The name Hosea means deliverer. Which means that God knew, God created him on purpose to help deliver the children of Israel into the promised land. But Moses comes back and we don't know why or when, but we can kind of assume he changes his name to Joshua, which means Jehovah delivers. He shifted it from deliverer to God delivers. You see, Joshua needed to know who he was, but he also needed to know who he wasn't. He wasn't God. And that's the thing, I think sometimes we try to take the role of God on our shoulders as though we're the ones that have to accomplish the miraculous, as though we're the ones that have to be perfect, as though we're the ones that have to fully embrace uh, forgiveness in a way that only God can, and we're the ones that has to fully understand grace. But no, we just have to be who we are, understanding that we're His, and let God be God. God just wanted to deliver the Israelites, and He's going to use Joshua to do that. So what about us? What does God have to say about you and me? What does the Bible say about us? I love what John, 1 John chapter 1 says. It's an amazing passage of scripture. It says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Lavished on us. That means he's given it in an abundance and then he says you are children of God. Children of God. Children of God. God's coming in and saying this is who you are. You're my child. I love what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 or 3 says. It says this, long before he laid down the earth's foundation, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long ago he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. I love that term and that word adoption. That word adoption means that we're chosen. God picked us out. And look what it says as it continues on. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. What if we are a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by our misdeeds? What does that mean? That Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't a pretty thing. It wasn't just something that was sweet. 
It was a terrible thing. It was beaten and abused and nailed to a cross and ultimately shed his blood, paying the debt of my sin and yours. That's why the scripture says we are a free people. And I love how this passage goes on to say this. Look at this. Not just barely free, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything will be brought together and summed up in him. In other words, that he has done something miraculous for us. We are who he says he is, and there's six words that we can pull from this passage of Scripture that God used to describe you. If you're not careful, you might have lost them, so I'm going to write them out for you. And I'd encourage you to take these notes. And as you say that pledge that I am who God says I am, I would encourage you to add these six words to that very statement. Listen to these words. He says that you are blessed. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are favored. Redeemed and forgiven. What does that mean? Blessed means that he says, hey, I want to bless you with the fullness of my life. Chosen means that he picked you like a kid at dodgeball. He chose you. No matter what your past is, no matter what you've walked through, no matter what lens you are looking at life through, God chose you. And then he adopted you. And the word adopted is like a binding, sealing term. That you're his son or his daughter. Favored means a blessing that you don't deserve. I love the word redeemed. We talked about this in the last series. Redeemed means restored to its original intent. Meaning God gave us destiny and purpose. And even though we might have gotten distracted or diverted along the way, God's going to bring us back to that. And then the last word is forgiven. Forgiven forgiven. No matter the tragedy, no matter the problem, forgiven. If we could just absorb that. If we could just absorb that idea that we are accepted by God, not because of church attendance, not because we can pray good prayers, not because we've done enough good to compensate for my past, but if I could absorb the fact that I'm accepted by God because of what Jesus did on the cross. I wonder how it would affect our choices and our behavior. I wonder how that would, if I could absorb the fact that I am chosen, adopted, blessed, redeemed, favored, and forgiven. I wonder how it would affect the choices that I make in everyday life. I mean, think about it. Think about it. What has had a greater or bigger impact in the destructive components of your life than your own personal insecurities? How many choices, how many poor choices have you made in an attempt to be accepted? If I could just, if, if I could just know that somebody loves and values me, Not because of an accomplishment, but because of who I am. 
Insecurity has led to so many disasters all around the world and probably even in your life if we were being honest with each other sitting across the table over some coffee and I was to say, tell me your story. How has insecurity affected you and how has the need to feel accepted affected you? I would bet that many of you could have a story similar to mine. I just never felt like I measured up. And I finally met a group of people or hung out with this person or I compromised in my belief or I knew better, but I just wanted to be loved. That desire to be accepted has brought so much devastation in so many lives and I believe it stands to reason that those chains would begin to break simply by recognizing that I am blessed chosen, adopted, favored, redeemed, and forgiven. Blessed, chosen, adopted, favored, redeemed, and forgiven. The problem is that we look at ourselves through the lens of that while God looks at us through the lens of this, we see that time I failed, that moment I was weak, that time I felt violated, that time when I was rejected, and we look at ourselves through the lens of that while God sees us through the lens of this. This is who I created you to be. This is what you're created to accomplish. This is how I feel about you. I love what Romans chapter 8 says. It says this, that no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, which means that God says, you are a conqueror, but wait, you don't understand, if I was a conqueror, then in my yesteryear, last week, last month, last day, whatever it is, I would have made a different choice, but God says, no, 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 you don't get to determine your own value, I do, and you are more than a conqueror. I love how the verse continues on in verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you. Nothing can change your value. But you don't understand. No, no, no. That was that. This is this. This is this. This is what God says about you. I'm so afraid that so many of us have allowed culture and past and people maybe a coach spoke something to you or a teacher or a parent that says you're good for nothing you'll never amount to anything and those words have rung so true in your mind and it has become the that of your life i'll never forget growing up i just was so proud to be called a robinson it's my last name i'm one of seven kids and i love all of my brothers and sisters except for one but the rest of my love Raised in a great home where my parents were a major part of a church and a pillar in the church. Man, they loved the Lord. My dad loved the Lord with his whole heart. You could say, God, Dad, where do I find that scripture? He'd say, well, 2 Kings here. And what about this verse? Well, you need to go to Chronicles there. And, I mean, there's just the, the wisdom and the knowledge that came from him. And, and he had this overwhelming desire to just please the Lord. And everything that I think about great men of faith, I think about my dad. And growing up in that home was amazing to me. I was like, yes, I'm a Robinson. My dad passed away two years ago. Two weeks ago, it dawned on me, I'm beginning to forget some of who he was. 
two years removed now. Forget his corny jokes that used to embarrass us and how he prayed. If I wasn't careful, if that was my only identity, is to be a Robinson, then as the memory of him fades, so would my identity. And for some of you, you've allowed something else besides God to define who you are. And as it has begun to erode or to shift, you've allowed your own identity to begin to change. Allowing the that of your life to define who you are. But that's not the way that God works. Why? Because he is who he says he is. And he can do what he says he can do. Which means you are who he says you are. Not who culture says you are. Not who your parents say you are. Not what your past says you are. You are who he says you are. You are blessed chosen, adopted, favored, redeemed, and forgiven. Your future is not dependent upon a perfect track record. It's dependent upon simply believing that God is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do. And you are who he says you are. You are who he says you are. How many of you just being honest with a show of hands would just say, you know what, I needed to hear that this morning. Would you just raise your hand? Awesome, hands all over the room. Come on. Hey, let me pray for you. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes before we go any further? God, we just thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're doing something miraculous in our life. And we need you, God, more than ever. God, it's challenging at times, truthfully, to believe that we are who you say we are. God, that's the hard one. When it comes to identity, God, when it comes to my life, often it's easier for me to see my failures and my mistakes. But God, I just pray that today for each of us in this room that you would give us a new sense of strength and courage to believe truly that we are who you say we are. Not the summation of my failures and my mistakes. Not who culture says that I am, but who you say I am. God, I pray that you would strengthen our heart in this moment. To see you for who you are. And to see our lives, the lens that you see us. I thank you that you're at work in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, before we go any further, before we leave today, we just a few minutes left in our service. Let me talk to a few of you today who need to begin this journey with Jesus. There's a starting point. You see, God wants to do amazing things in your life, but there's a starting point, and it's not through osmosis or just thinking good thoughts. It's, there is a beginning to this journey of faith, but the greatest thing is Literally, the price has already been paid. So many people think, well, you don't understand. I, I need to get cleaned up before I get to God. No, no, you just start with God and he'll take care of the rest. I'm not talking about church membership here. I'm not talking about eradicating your past. I'm just tarting, talking about starting a relationship with Jesus. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to do just that. With no embarrassment, nobody looking around. 
I want to challenge you, if you're here and you've never made this decision, don't let today pass you by without choosing to begin this relationship. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you've never prayed this prayer, I want to encourage you, right where you're seated, in your own heart or in a quiet whisper, just repeat this after me. Will everything get perfect? No, but you'll start this relationship and then God takes over and can help you through the rest. For some of you in this room, you've been playing with your faith, been running from God, and I want to challenge you, today is the day to come running back. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, I want to challenge you to pray it with me today. And if you've been running from God, today's the day to come running back. It's a simple prayer. Just make it your own. Just say, dear God, I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. But God, I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? I want to live a life Believing that I am who you say I am. Just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.